All right, if you got your Bible there with you or a copy of God's Word on your screen, somehow invite you to open to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We've been working our way through John's first letter here for a handful of weeks now. As we get to chapter 2 here, we see some different emphases. We just last week looked at the hymn right before this, uh, where John addressed three groups of people, little children, young men, and fathers. And then this week, he gets to some pretty direct instruction to the church. And we're going to look and see what he has to say here in verses 15 through 17. So I'll read aloud. You follow along as we read these verses, and then we'll walk our way through them. First John chapter 2, verse 15. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, what we've got here is a concept that frankly, in uh, times past in church history has been a little more popular to dive into than in our current day. Even when I say time past, I mean, even when I was a kid, you know, worldliness was a category that was uh, discussed in church, but it's not really uh, that much today. But what we see here is that John addresses it uh, pretty directly. As we think back to what it is that John has been discussing as we walked through this letter together, he's been attempting to answer a key question. And you may remember that that question is, how do we know if we know Christ? In other words, how do we have assurance or confidence in our relationship with Christ. So the first question before this is, how do we come to know Christ? Or how do we know Christ in the first place? And John really answers that in his gospel. Here he's addressing and answering a second question. How can we know if that's taking place for us? And as we walk through this book, he gives us three tests to help us understand this. The first test is the truth test. In other words, do you believe the truth about Jesus as it's revealed in God's word? Or do you believe the truth of the gospel? The second is the life test. Do you live in a way that shows that you know Jesus? As people look at your life, does it look like Christ? And then the third test is the love test. Do you love in particular the family of God, the brothers and sisters in the faith? So as we look at these verses, we ask ourselves, which of, which of these three tests is he addressing? The truth test the life test or the love test is pretty clear that he's addressing the life test or the way that we live. Now, he uses the word love here pretty clearly, but he's talking about not family love or love for other people. He's talking about actually loving something that we shouldn't, loving something rather than God himself. And so he's really writing to help us understand uh, how life connects to our affections, or he's really getting at our heart desires. And so how, according to these verses, can we know if we don't know Jesus? So there's a way to know if we do know. And how does he say if we don't know? And he says, if we love the world. So we know we don't know Jesus if we love the world, because he says, if you do love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. So what does this verse teach us about ourselves? We can't love God and this world at the same time. Now, in a minute, we're going to get into talking about world and what he has in mind with that, because uh, scripture uses world in different ways. And so we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the conclusion is that if we love this world, we don't love the Father. 
And this leaves us with that important question, what in the world does John mean by world? Because if you think back to John's letter, or John's gospel, the most famous verse, perhaps in scripture, and certainly in his gospel, is John 3.16. For God so loved, what? The world, that he gave his only son to die for the world. So how can it be that, that we shouldn't love the world, and yet God himself does love the world? Well, Scripture uses world in, in a few different ways. Uh, sometimes it uses, uh, God, the, the Bible uses the term world to describe uh, the earth, creation. So God created this world, this created world. Another way that we see the world used is to, to represent the people in the world. God loved the world. Christ died for the people in this world. And then a third way, and it's the way that John is talking about it here, is it's talking about a system that is worldly in a sense that's opposed to what is heavenly or opposed to what is godly. And that's what John is talking about here. He's not talking about the literal creation. He's not talking about the people specifically in the world. Rather, he's talking about this world's system. I mean, God loves the people of this world to redeem us from sin. And so verse 15 is talking about rather not just loving people or loving the world, the created world, but loving this world's sin, loving a sinful system that's a part of this world that includes participating in that sin. And so what we see, one part of God's character is that he loves the people in this world, but not the value system of this world. Now, we know this is true by what John says next. That's verse 15. You can't love this world system. You can't love the values in this world, sinful values in particular, and love God at the same time. And we know that because John defines that a little more specifically for us in verse 16. So he says, okay, you wonder what, in, what, what do I mean by world? He says all that is in the world, and then he teases it out into three major categories. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and then the pride of life. Now it says these three categories, these three things don't come from the Father, don't come from God himself, but rather they come from this world system, this sinful system. And so this verse, verse 16, helps us understand what he means in verse 15, why it's impossible to love this world and to love God at the same time. So he says, you can't love this world and love God. And now he says, all that's in the world is not from God, but is from the world. So John is talking about a system of fallen creation, not creation itself. Now, John, when, when we think about worldliness or loving the world, often we think about maybe a set of behaviors or a set of things, a, a certain list of things. But John doesn't do that. He doesn't talk about material things. Rather, he talks about what? Our desires. So what is John ultimately getting at? He's getting at our worship. What's in our hearts? So when he drills down to the root level of, of worldliness, what he's talking about here is sinful human desire. And the first desire that he talks about is the desire of the flesh. Now this word desire is a word that can generally mean desire, but almost always in scripture, it means sinful desire. So it's used 38 times in the New Testament, and only three times out of 38 is it used uh, neutrally or positively. All other 35 times are a negative desire. 
So it's referring to sinful human craving. Now, you may remember that he talked about uh, children in verse 1, and then in verse, uh, verses 12 through 14, he talks about his little children. And that's a broad category. And so this likely is the same thing. He's talking about any desire of our flesh. Now, he doesn't say desire of the body, but of flesh. So he's, again, not talking a hatred for the physical world, but rather desires that rise from our sinful nature or things that are opposed to God. So a way to think about this is not talking simply about natural human things. So there are human desires that we all have, that they're not sinful in and of themselves. So uh, take the desire for food or something to drink or, or any other desire that, that you can think of. Uh, sex, companionship, these kinds of things. And so he's, he's talking not about that desire itself, but rather the tendency of our heart to twist or abuse those good desires. So take food, for instance. Is the desire for food wrong? Clearly not, at least I hope not. But can the desire for food be twisted or abused? Well, yes, you can, you can abuse it in terms of gluttony. You, you can eat more than you should. You can also abuse it the other way by, by abstaining from food out of fear of what you know, food might make you look like and, and going into some sort of eating disorder on the other side. And so the, the, the thing about our hearts, Jeremiah tells us, is uh, they're deceitful. And so they can twist God's good gifts in so many ways. And so he's talking about the, the tendency of our heart to twist God's good gifts and use them in wrong ways. Uh, companionship. A desire for companionship could lead you to a, uh, a foolish relationship or an immoral relationship. A, a desire for joy could lead someone to take a drink and then too many drinks that could lead to alcoholism. And so God has given us natural human desires, but we all live with this sinful nature that's connected to the system of this world that tends to twist these good gifts. And so generally, Paul, John's talking about the desire of our flesh. Secondly, he speaks specifically to the desire of our eyes. So specifically, he's talking here about things that arise from what we can see. So if we think back to the, to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, we think you know, how this might have been teased out there. You think about the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment is, thou shalt not covet. And, and, and then Moses lists, or God, through Moses, lists a number of things that we shouldn't covet. So Coveting could be seeing something that's explicitly bad, an image, something in particular, and wanting that bad thing, a person. So it could be explicitly wrong, but it also might be seeing something good and having a sinful craving or a sinful level of craving for that thing. A number of years ago, I was counseling a young man who was very into video games. Now, the video games he was into weren't uh, explicitly wrong. He wasn't into bad games. But his craving for these games was taking over his life to the point where he didn't eat, he didn't sleep, he played 24-7, his parents were worried about him, he, he cut off other relationships, and he was just wasting away. So what happened? His craving, his desire became so inordinate that it took over his life. Or he, sometimes we say, you know, that person got hooked on that. So covetousness is a sinful craving for something that's not rightfully mine. For instance, I don't know, let's say uh, driving down the road and 
I see, I can see Wilton on here. So I'll pick on, on Wilton here for a second. I'm driving down the road and I see, man, there's a sweet little El Camino sitting in the lane next to me. And I look over there and there's Wilt Richardson sitting in that car. And I think, man, I, I, would, like, I would like that car. Well, that's not sinful necessarily to like or admire that car. But let's say I begin to fixate on that and covet that car to the point where I begin plotting how I could steal that same car. Well, clearly at this point, I'm crossing into sinful desire. It's fine to admire, but it's different when greed takes over and I begin to sinfully want that car. Or another form this can take is resent. Oh, Wilt's got, Wilt's got that car. I want that car and, and resent that person. You see, the tendency of our hearts is to take God's good gifts and, and things of this world and twist them, whether it's uh, things themselves, whether it's uh, hunger or natural human craving. It's when those cravings take over. The third category he lists, we've got the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the third is what he calls the pride of life. Well, what's the fundamental issue here? Well, pride is one word for it. Another word is idolatry. In other words, we desire a higher place than we deserve, or we desire ultimately the place of God. It's a sinful desire to, to outshine others and bring glory to ourselves. Now, this might look like you know, putting ourselves forward, but it might also look like resenting others when they succeed, or by putting others down so they won't succeed. And, and the key question when it comes to the pride of life is, will we allow God to be God or not? Or will we make a God out of making ourselves look good? Now, this is a particular struggle for all of us in various ways. So it might be, I don't know, physical appearance. I'm making sure you look real nice. It might be a house or, or a career advancement. Or if you're a teen, it might be having, I don't know, the right clothes or the right friends or, or doing the, I don't know, having the right hobby. But what happens is in a world where beauty, popularity, friendship, acceptance, these things matter, which all of those things can be good, they often become ultimate things, and then they become idolatry. We begin to worship the created thing rather than the creator who gave us the good gift. And so what John says is these types of desires, this tendency to twist these things, don't come from the Father, but from the world. So why, and it's a, so why is it not worth loving these things? Why is it not worth spending our life for these things? Well, he tells us the answer in verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does God's will abides forever. So this world and all of its sinful cravings is going to be gone one day. Another reason we shouldn't love the world, in addition to the fact that if we love this world, we can't love God, is it's not going to last. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 31 that the present form of this world is passing away. So anything that's opposed to God, while it may look very real, very alive, very present, it's progressively dying. Now, uh, let's, I don't really need to pick on any, any one restaurant or one thing or one, but let, let's imagine that your life aspiration is to flip burgers at McDonald's. And, uh, and you walk in and you tell your parents one day, this is, this is my dream, this is what I want to do. And your mom and dad might look at you and say, that's fine, that's fine to want that, but you know, there's no future in that. You know, there, there's, not a lot, there's, there's, there's not a lot of advancement, maybe not a lot of opportunity, or, or, and, and, and maybe they try to talk you out of it because there's no future in it. And, and what John says here is, there's no future in loving this world. It's gonna die. A lot less future than there is 
in, in doing any worldly, earthly occupation. It's going to die with this age. But if you do God's will, you will abide forever. And in the immediate context, what does it mean to do God's will? It means not love the world, but love the Father. And so ultimately, what we see here is that loving this present world is something that is sure to die, but loving the Father, pursuing Him, worshiping Him, will last forever. Now, what we like to do is we like to believe that we can love this world, love its values, and just, I don't know, like a little salt, add a little Jesus to the mix. But what these verses teach us is that doesn't work. Loving this world is antagonistic. It's like oil and water. It doesn't mix with loving God. These two things cannot coexist. Loving God must affect our value system. So if we live for even good things in this world, those things can sap our love for God in a way that makes it impossible for us to love God because they're, they're drowning or squelching our love for God. So do we live in a way that shows that Jesus is our God, not all these other things? And as we do this, we remember John's words is that he's already spoken. We live this way in a way that shows that our sins are forgiven. So because of what Jesus has done, we ought to live this way. So hopefully this has been an encouraging meditation for us tonight, just to think about how important it is to love God with all our heart in a way that drowns out all other loves.